0: Up next on Inside Champ Car, life in the fast lane. Welcome to Inside Champ Car. I'm Bill Strong. Brian is on assignment in Alaska this week. And I'm joined today by cart and IndyCar crew chief, chump car and champ car Ford Focus Builder, and racer, Bernie Miles.
1: Oh. Myers,
0: Miles, Myers. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie, what's welcome... strong, Yeah. How are you? I'm all right, Bernie. How you doing, buddy? Things are great. I was reading something about Ken Miles a little earlier. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. So um, Brian's on an assignment somewhere in Alaska, vacation assignment. I don't know. Some super top secret thing with his daughter. And uh, so I'm actually doing the show oh. this week. I believe the sound is working, so uh we'll leave that alone for now. Um the uh the the show is being produced not in Los Angeles, but in beautiful, really hot and and kind of dark uh, Piney River, Virginia. So uh like to say hi to everybody out there. I got a lot of new followers on Facebook. Hopefully they're watching this from our uh, dirt track race in the last couple of weeks, which has been fun, actually. So Bernie, you uh You've done some dirt track stuff over the years. I have. So those little tiny—I don't know what they call them—the little you know wing cars, right? Sprint cars? <laughs>
1: no, I never never did any sprint cars. Well, actually, I ran the uh, our local track here. They run stock cars and midgets. Myself and a group of guys uh, did some uh, uh, running of the races, but I never actually did a sprint sprint car race or midget race or anything on dirt dirt's for growing potatoes <laughs> asphalt is uh, for racing bill so but uh did a lot of the car stuff worked with Dale Quinn racing for 20 years from 1982 to roughly 2002 so uh, I think that was kind of the heyday so to speak of what cart was with several engine manufacturers and chassis manufacturers one time there was two sets of uh, tires Firestone and Goodyear it was kind of a big battle all the time with um, chassis manufacturers fighting each other. Every engine manufacturer trying to squeeze out a little bit more RPM and horsepower. Things are a little different nowadays. A lot, things are a lot more, you know, spec, right, so to right. speak, like NASCAR is. But it's a different type of racing. Uh, we we had a little bit harder weekends than what they do now. They they can go 2,400 miles, I believe, on a on a Chevrolet or a Honda. Now we'd go 400. So there's a lot of times where we would change an engine two or three times a weekend. We had to mileage out turbos, mileage out headers. Sometimes we'd have, let's say, 200 miles left on a fuel pump. Well, we'd run it on Friday to mileage it out and have to change it Friday night. Well, the fuel pump's in the bottom of the fuel cell. So you got to pull the engine back and get in there and change that. So it's all, it was a lot more work back then than what, what it is nowadays.
0: So, you said 400 miles on an engine. What did you do during the 500-mile races?
1: They made uh, specific engines for that. Uh, (laughs) A lot of the engines we ran, uh, like I said, they were so on the edge. They had one piston ring in them Oh wow! just to save uh, resistance. So, they burned a lot of oil, and they'd go 400 miles, and that's it. You have to have it rebuilt. But they'd put an engine together with different pistons and different rings, a little bit less RPM. On today, we could only run maybe 30 40 laps now they run 100 because they could run so many miles on an engine so for the 500 that Indy and Pocono and uh, Michigan Fontana the Cosworth and Chevrolet and Honda Toyota they all built a, spe- a special specific engine to do 500 miles plus
0: now one of the things we were t- I, I was looking for pictures of um, of your of your racing days back with the uh, the the Indy program And I found some really cool ones and the, here we are We're going to show them there. Lots of pictures of fans and and racers all lined up the Indy 500 there. You see the cars three wide. There's your, um, your, your champ car that you've worked on and built. And then, uh, the rest of the pictures is basically, uh, Oh, there, there you guys are at Indianapolis with a champ car. Um, let me get to the other pictures here, which is pretty funny. Um, well, not these. These are all the team photos. You know, you think I would have done a little more research into these photos, but uh there's Lonnie Answer. But, you know, here you are changing the right front wheel on, on the 19 car. Yellow and red. I love those colors. That's that's an awesome color. But most of the pictures are like this, where you're pushing the car around. What's up with that? It's like every picture that I found is you guys pushing the cars somewhere.
1: There was a lot of those. It it was a tradition for a long time at the Indianapolis 500 that you had to be on the grid with your car by 8 o'clock. And they didn't allow golf carts. So every team had to take their car, push it all the way back to pit entrance, and then push it onto the grid wherever their starting position would be. They'd obviously take the starter cart with them and have to push and steer the car to their starting spot. It was uh, probably in the late, maybe – late night really late 90s or early 2000s where they finally allowed golf carts to go out to the grid with your car so you can pull it out there and then take your toolbox and all your equipment back but USAC was a bit strange back in the day they were all very set in their old ways and traditions especially at the 8500 so that was one of the traditions was having to take your car and push it out to the grid instead of pulling out there with a tugger yeah or every, every every sunday morning there's 33 pictures of from a photographer that's uh, taking that shot for the guys
0: <laughs> now um one of the the you know we're doing this show for champ car and you know which is of yeah. course not the open wheel champ car anymore but the uh the endurance series now is there much difference in setup between a champ car weekend and a champ car weekend
1: as far as uh, setting up for the race, yeah, I mean it's uh, all basically. Yeah, we, yeah the Champ Car races currently that we do. Uh, it's a much shorter weekend, but if there's a Friday practice, we'll get there Thursday. Uh, if there's not, get there Friday and set up, and then the, the Saturday and Sunday really go by quick. We we start early in the morning and at usually at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, and then uh, the races go till five, whether it's a seven or eight hour race. Uh, so th- it's a really a condensed weekend, I think, compared to what we used to do. We used to, uh, if it was a, a travel to race, we would drive on a Wednesday and get there Wednesday night. If we flew, we'd sometimes get there Wednesday night or Thursday morning. But th- uh, there was a lot of stuff to set up. We had to set up the transporter and the tent. Uh, everybody had these fancy uh, snap together tiles that we had put on the floor underneath the, underneath the tent toolboxes, wheel carts, go to Firestone to get all your tires mounted. And then there was a big timing stand to set up in the pits and all your nitrogen bottles and wheel guns. So it was a full day on Thursday of, of getting everything all set up and all put in place.
0: And you had fueling then, rigs back then on fuel, on pit lane, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. There were big stainless steel rigs that held uh, like 280 gallons, I think, of methanol. So we'd set those up and have a hose for practice, like a regular a pump hose. That you'd get at a gas station, and then obviously change it to the big right. fueling probe for the race itself. And, and then things would start yeah. up. but well, We usually have two practice sessions on Friday, sometimes two practice sessions to qualify, and then the same thing on Saturday, and then the race Sunday. So back then, we spent a lot of on track time. Now the days are sometimes they only race Saturday and Sunday. Uh, one practice session maybe on Friday. So things are a lot more condensed there, also. But uh, back in the day, <laughs> it was uh, there was a lot of time spent at the racetrack on weekends and things were opened up so much with testing and overseas races and that there were many years where we'd be on the road 240 245 days a year just uh, you know spending spending time at the racetrack or traveling to and from
0: so what <clears throat> to, when you arrived at the track what well, you worked as a crew chief as a tire changer all kinds of jobs in
1: in the series what was the most fun for you to do that hour, people ask me that now i haven't done it in, in so long they ask you you know i ask if i miss it and i miss the guys you know all the people that were involved with it and i miss that hour and a half on sunday that time where we are actually on the racetrack doing uh race strategy doing uh pick stops changing the outside run, right front tire outside tire whether it was left or right uh those are the times that i Know, I really miss the most. Away from that, boy, it was it was a lot of late, late nights and seven day weeks and and thirty uh, days, thirty one days a month of continuous work on the car. And like I said, they're they were so on the edge, everything had to be maintained and replaced all the time. Or otherwise uh, you'd end up not finishing the races on Sunday.
0: So there really is no difference between a five or a fifty cent part on a champ car and a fifty cent part on a chump car.
1: There really isn't. If you don't do uh, you don't do your maintenance and homework and yeah. and preparation on your, your current champ car, you're kind of in the same boat. You gotta you gotta look at your bearing, look after your bearings, look after the drive shafts, uh, keep all the fluids changed, make sure the radiator's clean. There's a lot of uh, not as many things to go through, but uh, if you're wise, you have to do all these maintenance things so you don't have any trouble during your practice or or the races on a champ car weekend.
0: How hard was it? You had to fight against teams that had all the money in the world, had Andretti's on their team or AJ's. How hard was it back then to
1: race? It was extremely tough, especially in the early days. Uh, You know, now the the Lara that they currently use, I think was, man, that thing was built like in 2012 was its first uh, year that it was built. And they've had updates on it, but it's been virtually the same car for a long, long time. Back then, everybody bought two brand new cars every year, whether you needed it or not. You you bought new Lowas or bought new Renards, and you got them, you'd have to go through them, take them all apart, learn, make new uh, tooling and new fixtures to be able to work on the cars. Uh, it was uh, preparation, was a, a, a lot different. Uh, everything had to come apart and be re greased, re oiled. Uh, the engines, like I said, we We would have four or five of them at the shop and then put clutches on them and water tubes and headers and have them all prepped ready to go. So when we did an engine change, uh, you know, made it that much simpler and that much quicker to do. It was our setup changes. You know, the engineer was the last guy to come out of his office with a sheet of paper and say, here, this is the setup. So you're on the setup pad, changing the corner weights and cambers and toes and making sure the right heights and wing angles and everything are what he wants. We get to the racetrack, car goes right on the pad and recheck everything all again. So we have a reference of what what everything is set at. So if we we make a wing change in the pit lane, you know, we know what it is from the pad. So we can make that change in the pit lane and know that it's an accurate thing to do. There's a lot of times, too, where uh, we we didn't have the luxury of having new cars. Many times we we would run a year-old chassis and possibly a year-old spec engine just because that's all that was in the budget. Uh There was things we did that we probably shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I was going to ask. That. Some things
0: could you could you tweak? Could you do? Do you put the Dale Coin tweak on on certain items? You know, custom <laughs> customize it.
1: We did we did some things that. uh Let me put it this way: we we got caught cheating several times, but it was always unintentional. The real wing was. 2000 or twenty thousands too high. The floor was 100,000 too low. Uh, we, we changed from cast iron rotors to uh, carbon fiber rotors at Michigan one year, and the engineer got the weight wrong for the ballast we had to add. We were underweight. And so these are all things we got caught at, but we're never doing it intentionally. But I probably will say that we did some things we shouldn't have and never got caught doing them.
0: There you go.
1: But again, it was. You know, we were behind the eight ball. We had to do a couple things to try and be competitive, and at least uh, you know try and keep up with the guys that had new engines and new new chassis. Uh, when we did have the luxury of having all that new stuff, like everybody else, the best we ever did was running a, a car stock. The '98, '99, 2000 Lolas were perfect right out of the box. Oh, really? So we never, you know, the engineers knew how to build that car, what ride height error worked the best at we would never mess with any of those things it was much in the much earlier days, maybe over a, 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 non-alcohol beer bill, we'll have a little talk about <laughs> some of the things we did. And some I say were, were awfully clever that we did and uh, no, we never got caught doing it. So
0: yeah, I've, I've been, bad. I've been around racetracks enough to kind of, and talking to people that have been around racetracks a yeah. long time, some of the stories are like, never thought of that, never thought of that. <laughs> of course, I'm not going to say anything. And we did it at the same
1: time. Yeah. We know other people were cheating. Oh yeah. We, wow. Fudging the I mean, no rules. I Although mean, yeah. I mean, for a fact, Penske was using tractor control yeah. on the years that traction control was illegal, but it couldn't be policed, yeah. and he got it. You know, got away with it. Well, it happened in Formula so.
0: One as well. It's I mean, you know, yeah. I think Mansell's cars the. Mansell's or was it Senate? I don't know. I think it was Mansell's cars was using it at one point. So, Yeah. Was that a big shock when Mansell came over after he retired from Formula One, came over here? It was a huge well? shock.
1: Carl uh, Haas and uh, and Paul Newman, they want to win and they, they'll spend whatever it takes in order to win. And a funny story to go with that is Carl Haas was on the phone with Nigel Mansell. He was in England and Carl was talking to him, trying to get him to come over and they were talking about the finances and and whatnot. And Mansell says, can you hold on for a second? I got another call. So he takes another call for a few minutes. And Kyle holds on the line. And uh, Nigel comes back and says, was the Queen of England. The Queen of England was trying to get Nigel Mansell to stay racing in Formula One and racing in England. But as it turned out, Kyle Haas won that battle with the Queen. And Nigel Mansell came over here and uh, ran the next year and won the championship.
0: Yeah, that was crazy. You know, it's, it's, there was, I remember in the, the cart days, they were, there was always this competition as Formula One drivers, are they better than the, the cart drivers? And, and, you know, I was one of those that was on the cart side only because, you know, American and we did have some really good drivers back then.
1: There was, absolutely. But a uh, couple of those guys had absolutely incredible cart control. Mansell was one of them. Uh, uh, Alessandro, not Alessandro San Pedro, uh, Zanardi, uh, Juan Montoya, oh yeah, yeah, Zanardi, all those guys have just phenomenal car control. And that, Nigel picked it up really quick. He expected to be fast on the road courses and thought he'd struggle on the ovals, but actually worked out the other way around. He won several races on the ovals and actually got a hang of that pretty quick. Uh, the, the first race of the year that he came here, maybe maybe, maybe the second or third, we we're at Phoenix. Yeah, he ran really bad. Oval. Yeah. He came in and told the crew, I did go flat in one. Yeah. And the crew said, no, don't go flat in one. So he, sure enough, he tried to go flat in one, backed it in the wall, put a big hole in the concrete wall. Was knocked, He wasn't knocked unconscious, but he got his head rattled a little bit, so he couldn't race on Sunday. So I think after that, he learned to listen to the crew well, I was, a little bit more.
0: I was listening to – he was talking to this female podcaster somewhere – forget where it was it was like last Mm -hmm. year and he was talking about that and he had an injury that was kind of rare but it was something that happened to indycar racers where they get a split in their bottom when they hit and he had a a really bad tear down there and that's just it just that was one of those things that stuck with me it's like the, the injuries back then were just incredible some what some of these guys took
1: yeah he he spent most of that year in pain yeah but he, after the Phoenix, after missing Phoenix, he went to every race after that and put up with it, and uh, was able to have great results. That's yeah. a testament to how competitive he is, and how he can put up with that such, you know, such pain to be able to get in a car and perform fall, flawlessly every weekend.
0: Now we had the Unser's, the Mears, Rick Mears, and so many famous names in, in uh in Indy car racing. Um, they branched out and did other racing and we even had some Unsers um and some uh some NASCAR folks racing champ car and chump car through the years. Um yeah. you brought some you guys brought some over. You brought Lonnie Unser and Johnny Unser over from um uh from that side and, and they did some endurance racing with us. The first one was at uh
1: at Indy. Indianapolis, yeah. Yeah. The first year we raced Indy in twenty nineteen. Yep. I called uh, some of the drivers at that- drove for us, I thought we'd want to come to, especially to Race Indy and come have some some fun with us. Michelle Jourdain and uh, uh, Brian Till and Alessandro Zampedre, and then finally uh, Johnny Unser drove for us uh, with Ruger Guns as a sponsor back in the mid 90s. And I know Lonnie had done some Miata races there, I believe, like the year before. So she had uh, uh, some experience at the track. There was no practice day at Indy on, on the Friday. Whoever was on the track Sunday, you know, that was the first laps on the road course. So we knew she had some experience. So I had called Johnny and said, Hey, you know, we're doing the uh, Indy road course Would Lonnie. Like to come join us. So we put the deal together and sure enough, she came in and uh, she did, she was faster than our two cars. We had the silver (laughs) car there and the black car. And she was faster than nine other drivers in, uh, in our silver number 38. So just talented kid. Uh, She asked all the right questions. Uh, for such a young age, had a lot of experience at that, and was pretty knowledgeable about what what she wanted. And she did a great job that weekend. We hope to do it again if we go back to Indy uh, in the next few years. Ask her to to do it again.
0: Yeah, I was watching a Formula or Formula, oh. Mobile One commercial oh. recently with with Lonnie in it, and uh, going up Pikes Peak. And uh, I'll tell you, that girl is just she's doing so well right now.
1: Yeah, that and and Johnny. She was brought up good because Johnny was a great guy, yeah. a real, uh, yeah. real polite, clean-cut guy. Uh, did well with us when he ran, uh, he ran a Cosworth Lova with us for uh, for two seasons on and off. Uh, and Lonnie, along with the Unser family, is synonymous with the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, yep. and she picked up on that pretty quick uh, last year and this year doing doing it. And uh, yeah, the Unser name, everybody knows the Unser. The Unser family's one indianapolis more than any other family in the history of uh the indy 500 so you know they've got some talent
0: right and there was a lot nine of nine times remember, yeah there was a lot of them i mean they have roads named after them in albuquerque
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Bobby elsewhere too yeah and yeah. bobby was such a great great storyteller and uh, we hung out with with bobby and uh al senior al jr for many many years uh, both at the 500 and during the uh all the car races too.
0: So, when you when you were at a in the IndyCar era, were you did you hang out with other crew chiefs and kind of get information from each one, or you know did they help? Did you guys help each other out much like we do in Champ Car now? I mean, we get crew chiefs together and they do help each other out to a certain certain extent.
1: The uh, the Champ Car guys nowadays are a lot more helpful <laughs> from one team to another, uh, you know, giving of information. I will say on the IndyCar side, everybody was happy to give you something if you needed it. If you needed an NAS bolt or a drive shaft or a piece of carbon or a windscreen or whatever, if you needed parts, they're always happy to help you. You walk in somebody's transporter and they are working on shocks, they take a rag and cover up the shocks. So when it gets to sharing any of the technical data at all, we got a little bit from Newman Haas because Carl was the distributor for Lola and we had always bought Lola's. So we had a relationship with them. And then my wife worked for Newman Haas Racing oh, yeah. for some 21 years. So they were a little bit more forward giving of, you know, a little bit of setup uh, uh, adjustments and some suggestions on, on what to run at different courses. But for the most part, nobody wanted to share. And it's, I'm sure it's the same way today. Nobody right. wants to share that little thing that you think you might have found to make your car a little bit better. People do eventually catch up and and figure out what's going on, but uh, they, you don't ever want to share any of that stuff ahead of time.
0: Did you guys ever do any uh, deception, you know, <laughs> fake parts or fake bits or whatever, you know, make, make something different than everybody else is using?
1: I, I, I think there was a little bit of that going on, only just to mess with the other guys. <laughs> you know, you would do something, you would do something completely off the wall, and then next week you'd see it on everybody else's car. <laughs> just because they think that it's that it's going to work. So it was just one of those things that you would try and do just to mess yeah. with, with people, you know, just little, little, little tiny, tiny things, splitters at different places or different angles on some of the little carbon pieces you had in front of the rear tires, right. A wicker build might, you know, you push out with uh, something really obscene and then change it before you go off to, to practice. So <laughs> it was mostly just to mess with, uh, with the other guys. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Now, which were your favorite to do, street or the uh, the street courses or the uh, ovals? The you know the the road courses.
1: Ovals. I enjoy I enjoy uh, street courses and road courses from the from the calling of the race, from the strategy that goes with it. Ovals are a little bit easier to call. It's yellow and the pit closes. Well, you got a couple of minutes to decide what you're going to do. On the ovals, it, it also is more of the team. So to speak, I don't care who you are, you're not going to overdrive a car and make it competitive on an oval if it's not set up right. Rick Mayors couldn't handle a car that wasn't set up right. You look at the last weekend in Iowa, Joseph Newgarden was on rails. Uh, he's really good in traffic, and he had a great car. So that made, made it for Joseph Newgarden over those two days was he had a, a well-set-up car. On a road course, the driver can make up a little bit of a handicap, that you might have with not enough horsepower, not enough arrow, not enough mechanical grip, uh, but the road course is a little bit more fun to call because it's a little more spontaneous. You got to think about it a little quicker, be more prepared ahead of time. Whereas the ovals, you know, like I said, it, it goes yellow. Yeah, pits are closed. It's pretty easy to tell whether you're gonna pit or not. The only time where it becomes a little bit difficult on an oval f- during green flag stops. You know, sometimes you want to pit early so you don't get caught out mm-hmm. on a yellow. Sometimes you want to go long as you can so you can make the last end a little shorter. Maybe pit a little earlier so it doesn't take as long to put fuel in. There's a lot of little, little things that uh, will go into your decision whether to pit or not.
0: Now, have you raced with the Flagtronics Code 35s yet with us?
1: I've got one in the Focus, but I've never... Not We've never any. raced with it yet. I put it in a few weeks ago. So
0: just I mean, not actually attending a race yet with it, but what do you think your your strategy? I mean, does your strategy change um having the code 35s now? Do you do you anticipate it changing? Because I know some teams have already said yes, it
1: does. It does. Uh, it does in certain ways that I could talk to you about over a non-alcohol beer. <laughs> and in other ways, uh, I think it's great. From the aspect that you can go code 35, everybody is 35 miles an hour. The, the workers take care of the incident. They clear it off and you're done. The only thing I don't like about it is it's not a full course yellow that packs up the field. Right. If you're chasing somebody that gives you a great opportunity to get a little bit closer. That's, that's the only drawback to it, but you get more laps, more green flag laps because it takes less time to do the yellows. I think, uh, what that thing is capable of doing in the future is really pretty amazing, too. Right. And I think once people start, Flagtronics starts to release some of that stuff, it's really going to be great for, uh, for Champ Car and the drivers to know a local yellow. You know, if everything's perfect, it comes on, you get the local yellow, you slow down, you don't get a passing under yellow, black flag. The code 35s make sure you're, you're doing the speed limit. Black flag, you flash is your number, so you know that you're the guy that the Black Flag is looking for. Uh, something we we were experimenting with back in the mid-'90s is we had these little boxes in the car that was a little tiny, tiny device, yeah. and it was for the marching Nance.
0: Ah.
1: And, and it, guess I what I'm that doing. That was the stupidest thing in the world to ever see. <laughs> but sure enough, uh, we used it, and it had the driver's name with an arrow that points to the car. And IndyCar used it for a little while, and then NASCAR took it over with it, and they've used it. Now, uh, with, with with a lot of success. I think you new car's back to it again now. But that's something that Flagtronic has, as you know. Because yep. you you're in charge of uh marching ants, but it's pretty cool to see your car number and where you are on the track and, and uh you know, yeah keep there, track of where your guy there, is. There's
0: some features I keep begging for over and over and over again from uh, to James and Alaric about you know from Flagtronics. Of course they say, Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll work on that and I haven't seen it yet, but they they they're coming out with some really big changes um we have one big change coming out here in a couple uh now you can go to flagtronics and uh, download or use the uh, device manager and update your unit now um just be aware that we're still going to come around to your car over the next few races to make sure you have the latest version
1: hear that believe it or not summer is just around the corner
0: overriding so what happens and we know that some teams have been caught out by this sometimes the corner workers will press yellow on their uh um on their unit on their device at the at the station
1: okay
0: we would be full course purple or code 35 and they'd hit the yellow because the incident is right there um or you know something something's happening right there or something's happening so uh we would have to manually go back through because what happens when your unit turns yellow that yeah, 75% race speed. And that's what they were doing. Yeah. So, um, we would catch that and fix it, but it would catch drivers off and upset people. And so we've got it now to where it, it, uh, automatically won't send that to the drivers. So, um, oh okay yeah, yeah there's a fix for that so but yeah just uh super easy just use, just plug it in and use the device manager software and just update the firmware on it and it's it'll be pretty cool
1: um yeah, yeah I that's think for, i think the pit timers are being used now in the car that you guys haven't used it as a series yet but i think the pit timers are yeah, they're in, I, yeah, yeah they're, they're in it now yeah they're in it as long as we yeah. get
0: the uh, <laughs> the right pit lane picked <laughs> And you know that's yeah, that's the autobahn first day kind of sucked, you know it's like, oh, we had the pit lane mark wrong on it, so once yeah. we got that fixed for Sunday, it was all perfect, but yeah, yeah, it's there's some you know it's 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 a growing process for both flagtronics and champ car because it's there's so much more technology involved, and we have to make sure that we get it right, and it has to be a hundred percent because that's what you guys as the racers are expecting um the i've integrated i'm trying to integrate the marching ants and the logging system so that you know you know why you got black flagged. it'll tell you right there so you don't have to why am i getting black flagged? so if you've got a a a, a bumper falling off your car hey guess what guys we just got black flagged or meatballed or whatever and the bumper's falling off so you're ready with the tools you know that kind of stuff so um a lot of i i think a lot of well Feedback is a lot of teams are using it, but there's still a number that don't, and they don't realize how how important that could be could be to their race. So,
1: I think it is, and uh, you know, as I said a little bit earlier, you, you get a black flag penalty for passing under yellow. Which I think is the most common penalty of all. Sometimes we go to some of these tracks, and there could be 15, 20, 30 passing under yellow calls. You do that once. And that, that's a big chance that they could take you out of contention for the race. So if if flag can help you with that and keep you from getting that penalty, that's uh, that's a feather in everybody's cap. I think I think the Trans Am series now is using Flightronics. Yeah, Trans Am another... SCCA
0: is is moving to it for their uh, SCCA, yes, for okay. the for the runoffs. Trans Am has been using it for a little over a year now, yeah. um, and the other associated uh, events at those races they use it. So I think SVRA or H, I don't know. I don't know all acronyms, but yeah, trans, whatever series runs with Trans Am, they're using it as well. So,
1: yeah, and there's That's many... a great little device for all these, a lot of these short tracks too. Yeah. I don't know if they can put up with the financial part of it, but it'd be great for a, a quarter mile, half mile local dirt track or, or, or paved track. I think it'd really come in handy and save a lot of crash damage.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you... I, I've been spending, a, you know, as we were talking earlier, I've been spending a lot of time at dirt tracks and because I have a dirt track locally. So, and I love taking pictures there. And, and, uh, it's something I was thinking about. It's like, how could we use, use it here? Cause they still have the old stoplights, you know, the yellow, green, yeah. you know, and they, 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 uh, they have all that up on there and it works for them, but it's like, huh, flagtronics. that would that might be something, <laughs> something they might be interested yeah. in. And, you know, did you know that these these uh dirt track racers you know those the those big fat gummy looking tires they put on these uh yeah. stock, these little stock cars 200 bucks a tire they're cheaper than our car our tires and they're much bigger
1: I, I I always thought they were more than that <laughs> yeah i think i love the guys pay 280 for a who's your right rear midget tire
0: yeah i was just like he said oh these are 200 dollars a tire i'm like Wow, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> how how long does it last? I know night. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I, I don't know,
0: and, and they come wrapped in cellophane, so I suspect they've been soaking them.
1: You know? So yeah, I don't think the life of them uh, is quite what we get out of no. uh, even our stinky tires. Yeah,
0: what do you think of that? You know, we've we've uh, we've gone from the the uh, you know we one hundred and eighty treadwear tires is what the rules specify. We always say two hundred treadwear, but it's actually 180 treadwear in champ car or higher yeah. and uh dot. Um, and it I want to say we didn't start seeing marbles on the track until 2018. And the first time I saw it was after I'd been doing some laps at Indy, and I could not figure out why that VW rig was bouncing all over the road. The Continentals were just I mean, they were a great tire, but they were balanced, and you know, you could do you know high speeds in that car and never notice the tires. Well, Ray and I were leaving the track. We pulled, you know, we just, I could not understand why the car was doing what it was doing. We pull in for breakfast on on, on Monday morning and look at the tires and they're just packed, caked with with uh, rubber all over it. Um, what, um, what do you think the tires have done to this series and other series, uh, you know, with these tire wars going
1: on? Tire wars are tough. Uh, we we went through that with Goodyear and Firestone. Uh, Firestone makes a excellent tire. It's got a lot of grip and it stays grippy for it's your entire stint. Goodyear built junk, literally. Uh, Bobby Rahal was the last guy to run on Goodyears. He finally switched to Firestone. His first comment was how easy everybody else has had it, just because the tires were so good. But we got a tire war. I I, I don't think. I don't think a spec tire works. That's awfully tough to do. Uh, tires are tough. There, it it, 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 it's really hard to make a rule that's fair to everybody. Uh, the fast, the, the best thing to do to make your car faster is change your driver. The second fastest, second thing to do to make your car faster is change your tire. And there's a lot of tires out there that legitimately will make your car go two, two and a half, three seconds, four seconds a that quicker. Yeah. But you're going to spend more money to do it. So, you know what? what what's the trade-off? Do you spend two two 2500 dollars a weekend on tires, or do you put in that lightweight clutch? <clears throat> you put in a lightweight flywheel. Uh, do you do other things to, you know, free up some horsepower? Which all that costs money and right. reliability. Hey, I don't. Uh, nobody wants to go out and have everybody buy. The sticky tires, and it, then everybody's fighting one another with the the, the cost of it and and the, the longevity of all of them. uh But it, it's not just the tire itself. On the other hand, too, it, it's the team that's got the smarts to have a really good setup, right? Really good strategy. And the first thing, like I said, to make your cup faster is the drivers. That's you got a, you got three ringers or four ringers that are driving for you. That's way better than. Virtually any tire is going to bring you. So everywhere I've been, if you're winning, uh, I don't care if it's in midgets, stock cars, IndyCar, NASCAR. If you're winning, people are complaining about what you're doing. And the first thing, and I think in shop car, the first easiest thing to pick on is tires. And it, that might be right. It might, it might It might. be wrong because there's so many things involved with a car and drivers and setup. That you know, tires become a small small equation. If it's just unfortunate that the really good tires cost what they do. Would you go? Would you go re-
0: sticky or wide? Which would be your preferred way to go?
1: Sticky. I mean, I, I wide's not a way to go in a lot of cases. We don't run the speeds to get the some of the fast cars. GBU, maybe some fast Camaros, other fast Corvettes. They they go fast enough to get that tire hot. In a car like we have, uh, and I would say 80%, maybe 85% of the cars out there, a wider tire is not going to help because you're not getting the full footprint hot enough to take advantage of it all. Wide tires, you sometimes need a spacer. Our cars are, everybody's cars, for the most part, notorious for wheel bearing problems because these cars aren't made to be run the way we do. So you put a spacer on it with a wide offset tire, that's even harder on the Knuckles and uh, rear rear suspension parts and front suspension parts than than what a stock tire would be. I run a, a, a 205 50 15. It's a Miata tire basically. It's a small, narrow tread. I I get luckily knock on wood. I get great mileage on bearings, and drive shafts. Uh, I go I go the eight, 10 hours without having to worry about having to come into the pit to fix some of those things. So reliability. Is a big thing for that. I run Coopers, which Coopers on the uh, hit list yeah. for some of the sticky tires. We can go six to eight hours on a set of fronts. I don't think you're ever going to yeah. get a front wheel drive car that's right. going to get good tire wear. Uh, a managing car probably gets pretty good tire wear front and rear, but it does, the front actually. end's doing the steering yeah. and the driving. It's tough on tires. So yeah. I think six to eight hours on a tire that costs $175. And his quick. It's not a bad trade-off.
0: Yeah, we used to get really good mileage with the Derezzas. Uh, Troy, Troy gets pretty good mileage with his whatever RS. I think he uses his RS4. Um, yeah. And I think Continental, I th- whatever the fast tire is now that he got recently, good, really good mileage out of it. But I think that's a benefit of the, the mid-engine setup is you can really save those
1: tires. Exactly. We, we used to run the Derezzia 2 tires, and we were extremely happy with them and then when J- Lonnie and uh, Johnny came to Indy with us, right. he wanted us to run the Coopers. I said, Johnny, you, this hire has to be awful good for us to go ahead and change it out. So I went to the North Idlebound track, did a, uh, a few laps on the Drazias to get a baseline, went out on the Coopers, and at the end of the day, it was exactly four seconds quicker, a lap on a reasonably short track. So we've been using them ever since and have been real happy with them.
0: So, you know, when you when you're uh, when you're done with the weekend, what is the first thing that you do to, when you look at the car? You get the car back to the shop, put it up on jack stands or up on a lift. What's the first thing that you do assessing how your weekend went?
1: Well, probably look at tire wear to see how the tire handled its last time that it was out on the car. See if it needs more camber or less camber front and rear by looking at how the tire wears, is maybe there's too much tow so then you got to think about how the car handled and, and what you need to maybe change your set up to try and get more tire life and uh, get a, a better handling car after after every race i look at the drive shafts so they come apart and get re-greased and on a focus bearings are pretty cheap wheel bearings so I, I take the old ones out throw them away Buy new ones, re-grease them with some uh, better grease than what comes in them. Usually, what do you, there's like a what do you use for grease? of grease in them. What do, what do <laughs> you mean, use for grease? I use the uh, Joe Gibbs uh, okay. high uh, high demand or high something uh, grease. I use a I I use a red red line in the gearbox, in the uh, transaxle, mm-hmm. and I use Joe Gibbs products and everything else. Engine oil, grease. Even though Joe Gibbs Water really weather. doesn't
0: run – he doesn't really own that company anymore, but it, it's another –
1: I don't think he does, no. Yeah. But we, I, I, I learned about them quite a long time ago, and they don't make anything OEM. Okay. They don't have to meet admissions. They don't have to do anything for an OEM car. So that – and and some of the thing I things I was taught by their salesmen and some of their technicians, uh, I, I just find – there's other good oil out there, too. Don't get me wrong. Right. But I felt that the no OEM stuff really made for a better – racing oil. Uh, our Focus had 187,000 miles on it when I bought it. With the same engine, we put on 6,000 race miles, plus Friday practices and, and testing at the Audubon. And I, I think a lot of that attributes to the Joe Gibbs oil.
0: Do you get a lot of help
1: For example, from Ford from John? <laughs> <laughs>
0: For those that don't know... Uh, no, John helps is out but I mean, He's a Toyota guy, though. Yeah, he is a Toyota well. guy, but he works for the yeah. OE. So um yeah. now he
1: uh that's one thing that's cool about the Focus SVT. It it's made it's a Cosworth, a Ford Cosworth head. And they actually made an extruded stainless steel header for it. It's not a pre-bent or welded together header, it's an extruded piece of stainless. And all my experience with Cosworth, uh I figured, hey, there's gotta be yeah, you know, something to this. So that's why that was one of my main main reasons for going ahead and and choosing the uh the svp
0: Cosworth. so there's a there's a little show on on um on youtube when they were developing the uh the turbo engines in the 70s and how they were just they would put it on the dyno and it would fail constantly and they could not figure it out and it took them a while to sort it out but watching Mm -hmm. them go through um the build of these cars using nothing but you know mallets and you know what do you call, it? um, you know, measuring tools that you, you just look at and go, wow, that's the cavemen use wow. that stuff, you know, <laughs> and, you know, no, no, um uh, no computer, you know, no computer design, design software and just building yeah. to failure and then fixing from there. Um, I thought that was a great, great little show.
1: It took them a long time to get a good Formula One engine. They did good with IndyCar, their IndyCar program. They had, uh, Later in the life of the F1 cars, they were approaching 20,000 RPM Yeah, with their little twenty uh, little tiny turbocharged uh, V8 that they use. I, ours were only 1.8 liter. They were up to almost 14,000 and it made 900 and 950 horsepower.
0: You know, we when laugh. We, were, we, were we, we, we think that's crazy, but I swear I've heard jump cars going down the front straightaway hitting 14,000 RPM too.
1: <laughs> Once. Maybe a rodeo. Once. <laughs> usually we well, in Europe, we we had the opportunity to tour the uh, uh, Cosworth plant, mm-hmm. and they do every single thing in house. Yeah. They they make their own carbon brackets to hold ECU's. They make their own wiring harnesses, cast their own blocks, uh, make their own crankshafts. If we break a crankshaft in the states, they stop the production line and change the radius in the crank just to try and make it more reliable. It, it really a phenomenal factory and and what an amazing place to be able to walk through.
0: Yeah, that was um yeah. Watching how they did their stuff over there was really cool. Now, sort sort of Toyota did the same thing where back in the 80s they had this philosophy that if something broke, they would send an engineer over from Japan to figure out why it broke and then he would go back to Japan and they'd fix it mid mid-production whatever car they had you know doing warranty work and and fixing things i always thought that was kind of cool and gm started doing that too when toyota was working with them um late 80s i think that was mid 80s to late 80s so um what kind of advice do you have for champ car racers let's say the that you've seen even from our experienced champ car teams that they're they might be doing wrong or you could see hey you might want to you might want to look at doing something like
1: this that's tough to say uh you know i don't mean to credit you know i don't want to go and criticize somebody else for what they're doing and it, it, it's tough to pick out what they might be doing wrong because you don't know you know how they, they got to that point i think the smartest thing to do is, is really do a lot of your preparation at home uh, i think that for the most part the champ car guys do you do go to a race and occasionally see a wheel bearing that didn't replace it at home. So it failed for them on the weekend, or they have a braking problem that could have been taken care of ahead of time. Uh, When we first, when I first started building the car in 2017, I think I thought my experience really was a big help with car preparation and chassis set up with caster and camber and tow and, uh, you know, the first couple of years we competed with it, we really did exceptionally well. And uh, at that time, it was a more or less, I would say, a, a, a full 100% builder series. Right. If you raced your car, you bought, you you bought it and you built it and you raced it. Well, not everybody at the time had the knowledge of how to set up a race car. Nowadays, it's more what's moved into the arena is teams and cars that are arriving drives. Big teams will make. Several race cars uh, offer it for rent for drivers to come in. Well, those teams are awfully experienced and they're awfully smart and they know what they're doing. So, though you know, those guys are definitely know what they're doing and it's hard to you know pick any flaws that they might have. Uh, but for the again, just getting back to doing your homework at home, uh, you know, even at the Audubon, we had guys come in re-strapping down their cool shirt coolers. You know, just <laughs> yeah. simple little things that. Yeah, you know that that kind of stuff will happen but you got to do what you can to prevent it from happening you know that way you don't have to come in and fix it and lose a lap or two or three and and uh, you know you you want to be on track it's a seven hour race you want to be out there for seven hours you don't want to be in the pits for for two fixing a, a brake pad or you know brake caliper that's sticking you know rebuild put new seals in your calipers every you know maybe every six months maybe for sure, once a year, go through the right. fuel cell, take the fuel cell apart, check the foam, check the fuel filters. I mean, you get get a couple of cases of beer for your buddy and come have come by on the weekend and go from bumper to bumper.
0: And that's something that I think a lot of guys don't realize that that foam with today's fuels can deteriorate like crazy. Even if the foam says, "Hey, good for today's fuels," it will still deteriorate to a certain point.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the ethanol in today's fuels, pretty harsh. And it's all going to get worse because they they keep talking about going to the 15%. I think a lot of guys do truly want pump gas, 93 yeah. octane, or or a little bit less if they can get away with it. So the ethanol in there will tear up uh, the foam. And even regular rubber-braided yeah. hose. I did go through the trouble of putting on the new plastic-lined hose that uh, they have out now that's compatible with ethanol right. and methanol and, all the other harsh fuels and then it, it should last the car for the rest of its lifetime.
0: Yeah. And, and I, it's funny. I see guys running like 12 foot of fuel hose, you know, this stuff on there. It's like, guys, just run tube. You can run it straight through your car. You don't have to put it in some big tube, like uh like some guys do, but you have to hose through a tube. But if it's actual metal tube, you can just run it through the inside of the car. And then at the ends, you just put in your anti-vibration hose, you know, six, six, eight inches of hose to whatever device you're using you know
1: right yeah yeah there's nothing wrong with that they, everything in the that's exposed to the driver has to be in some kind of metal yeah bulkhead or or fuel lines need to be in a metal tube of some sort unless you're using the tube to, to hold the fuel
0: yeah no i think what you said you could have the fuel going just the, the the fuel line itself in there as long as it's metal you know so yeah
1: yeah i did uh four inch I metal did, tube uh, with the fuel right yeah. <laughs> yeah, for the pools.
0: Or sorry, three inch. took care of that
1: problem a couple years ago. Now <laughs> everybody has to run with a balloon tank.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no balloon tanks. I don't want to get that email in the morning, Bill. No. <laughs> to the office. So <clears throat> now um the uh the pit stops. Do you guys practice pit stops now? Cause you, you obviously you 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 did back in the IndyCar days. You practice them constantly, right?
1: I've, I've tens of thousands of tires at the shop on race weekends, practicing on on race days. Uh, I, I I won't say that we've actually practiced. I'm, I'm ashamed to say we haven't practiced at home to do pit But all the guys on our team and many guys on other teams were all experienced at doing oh, pit yeah. stops it's okay. just that this is choreographed a little bit differently we, we're usually done with a minute 20 minute 30 to go so we wash the windshield Yeah, know you have to the windshield checking the oil we always we uh, torque the wheel bearings check the uh, lug nuts and obviously do your fuel uh i'm i'm not one to leave anything alone so i'm always messing with uh, different things to make things a little bit quicker i took a, a, a five gallon square fuel jug that everybody uses and when i first got it it took forty-five seconds to empty it into another five gallon pail you know turn it upside down right. and empty the contents well i messed with all the fittings changed different things radius things put different vents in it i got it to dump in 14 seconds <laughs> So now in the car it's a little bit slower because right. you have uh, vent lines and all that but I, I spent a lot of time trying to make uh, a, a fuel jug flow a lot quicker so that did speed up our our fuel stops. Quite a lot, and uh, you know the, the guys know who's going to be on the fire extinguisher. Guys know who's going to be doing the fuel. One guy will check the uh, oil and wash the windshield. One guy will torque this. The, the uh, has a job of torquing the axle nuts, rechecking the wheel lug nuts, uh, and especially on a front-wheel drive car, I find it's it's very important to re-torque axles after you do three or four of them. They kind of find they're set, and you don't need to do it again. But it's, it is pretty important on the. The car to check them early on
0: so we we had that issue we kept breaking rear axles and uh once we got the engine movement down stopped um we still broke them and it, and they would get loose on us and then one of my one of my drivers said hey you know we we run 911s up in canada and they double nut their axles and it's like huh so we did that never had an issue after that and you know, of course, okay. people say, "Oh, don't double nut, you know, Loctite or whatever." But yeah, we double nut them, and they work fine. So,
1: yeah, we—I just use the Loctite and one nut. I don't have enough; uh, there's not enough threads to do a double nut. Otherwise, we would. Yeah, we, we would go that route. Yeah,
0: we we found some like thinner nuts that we use for the for the for the first nut, and then a proper
1: Toyota—I
0: forget what they—they're like not a castle one. Yeah, the castle ones on the on the outside. So yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, if I get my act together and I get everything done, what we might see four or five focus at uh, Gingerman oh, cool. this year. I think there's three signed up now, and I, I know of two more that are possibly going to be entered. And I've uh, there's a, a website called uh, Track Focused, and I've been on there several times sharing information. You know, so other guys either get the inspiration to build a car to come join us, or you know, help them with their track day things that they do. I've I've told them things we broke and how we how We fix them and how to do your maintenance. And uh, there's been a, a couple of champ car teams I've talked to to you know spread our learning experience onto them.
0: Now, the Ford Focus that's a worldwide platform. Is the US version the same sure. as the rest of the
1: world uses? The European version, I think most I think the base model was the same. Their RS obviously is quite a bit different. Is that than what we had drive, over right? here? Is that rear wheel drive? Army.
0: Was that rear-wheel drive or front-wheel
1: drive? No, that was the LS is front-wheel drive. I think They make like 350 horsepower, yeah. bigger brakes, bigger bearings. A lot, of, a lot of things on it are changed. That, those parts are impossible to find over here nowadays. But the Because the, the, they're the, all in your garage?
0: Yeah,
1: I wish. <laughs> <laughs> but the, there's quite a few SBT focuses still around. Parts are starting to get a little bit hard to right. come by, but there's enough of them. Floating around that we could keep running this for a long time. The fenders are the same as a Focus and doors and bumpers. You could I the uh, bumpers on SVP are pretty pricey, so I always take them off and sell them on eBay, and then just buy the standard Focus bumper then and uh, put the put the splitter on it and stuff like that, just to save a little money and that. Waste a, a good SVP bumper,
0: right? Yeah, we kind of do that with the MR2s. Take the good parts off and just put crappy ones on it, and, yeah, <laughs> or, or blanket or something like that. So, yeah, because some of that stuff's getting kind of rare and hard to find. Yeah, I guess there's some BMW stuff. Uh, yeah, they
1: keep whining about uh, how I mean, they can't
0: find yeah, things. are
1: whining about that. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> that's another thing we did on the our black focus. I put arrow on that a few maybe three years ago, and yeah. that helped it a lot. And I just finishing that up now on mine. I never thought for a second that arrow would help a front wheel drive car, but uh, it, it uh, you know I really I think there's a lot of value to it.
0: Well, it's funny. I um again I, I like watching a lot of European stuff. I also lived over there. And I, I, a lot of magazines I would yeah, read over there, cars and car conversions, and they talked to the teams with these um, yeah you know with the the British Touring Car Championship cars, BTCC I think they were called, um and. They basically got rid of the wings. They had to be stock-looking cars at one point. The yeah. public hated it, so they allowed them to put these little skinny wings on it. They did absolutely nothing until they did. And it was one of those <laughs> things like the aero guys on the teams work and work and work to get those wings and aero and parts not to, you know that wouldn't do anything, just look fast, uh, do something. So uh, that's pretty funny when you say uh, now you know, you've know driven it with the work. So,
1: yeah, there's a lot of a lot to that aero stuff. And, and he, we had a rule change in 2000 where they made the um, rear diffuser, the under tray of the car, much yeah. smaller. It used to be like 14 inches tall. They made it down to something like eight. Well, Lola figured out how to make more downforce <laughs> and less drag with less area. So, it's uh, you know, you give an engineer a clean set of. Sheet of paper, right? They're always going to find a way to make it better than what it used to be.
0: Yeah, I used to. I think I. I used to think it was funny when when the Arrow guys would, that worked in IMSA or wherever would walk by my Toyota MR2 with the big ass 14 inch cord wing, you know, as wide as the body, and they'd laugh. They'd laugh at it, going, "That's just not going to work," you know. And it's like, dude, we take it off and we die.
1: <laughs> you know, it's like this thing works. It keeps it going
0: that way, and that's all I care about. Don't really care about the downforce stuff i just i just wanted to keep going straight because we have guys that drive our car that don't normally drive mid-engine cars so yeah you drive them differently
1: so yeah yeah uh, Yeah, they're a different different beast
0: yeah now you also do a you have a hobby that's uh kind of cool you build hot rods not just race cars yeah so hot
1: rods and custom cars uh Currently have a 59 F100, a 32 Ford Roadster, a 35 Chevy Coupe, a 57 Chevy that's coming out to be a show car. Got a Morrison chassis underneath it and a big Chevy, big block. Done tons and tons of body modifications, little tiny, simple, little subtle things. Welded up door gaps, tucked in bumpers. Uh, We chopped the top three quarters of an inch just to make a little tiny, little subtle change that you, you hardly see. Uh, I've got a Celica um, be finished up with here pretty soon. That put a cage in for uh, guys that are going to be running lemons. So the, the race car thing has been pretty busy. Got some customers from the Autobahn. Uh, they're only like 40 minutes from us here, so I have a couple customers from there. routinely work on. Uh, got a guy from the North who's Got a BMW that he races uh, in SCCA at Blackhawk Farms and Gingerman and Groton. So I do quite a bit of. It. It's a pretty fast. Fancy BMW. There's no way it. Yeah. It even could run in DC. It's <laughs> a pretty, pretty quick car. But I do a lot of work for him, and uh, yeah, the hot rod stuff is fun. I enjoy fabricating things, and making stuff by hand, and a lot of my customers allow me to uh, pretty much have free reign. You know, I'll, if it's something pretty wild, I'll call them and uh, text them and get a uh, give them a rundown of what I'd like to do. But for the most part, I get a green light. On on a lot of stuff. So you and do everything from from, from the it?
0: fabrication to the uh, paint and everything.
1: Yeah, I do. I'll do rough repair work, uh, fabricating of frames and and sheet metal and trans tunnels and firewalls, uh, headers, exhaust. I'll do bondo work here, but I I do sublet. Okay. Both priming and painting—that's that's, yeah, that's, that's got to be a whole different art nowadays.
0: I, I spend and, hours and, and upon and days on the road with Ray Frank, who is a paint and body guy, and and I hear he, he comments about my 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 body paint and body skills constantly. So, speaking of Ray Frank, I was walking around his uh, his his yard and found a '66 Dodge Charger 444 barrel. I keep thinking, hmm, that would make a hell. Would you turn that into a champ car? Would that be an awesome champ car, though? It only has a twenty-one gallon tank or twenty. It's a small tank, eighteen gallon. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, would that make would that make a good good car at like Daytona? I'm thinking it would.
1: <laughs> I'm afraid that the, the 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 cost of that car b- being restored might be a little more worthwhile than making a champ car of it. No. <sighs>
0: I don't know. You know, there's there's got to be a point in, in time here soon when these collector cars are just going to drop because, you know, electric. You know, everybody wants their Chetson car. I've
1: been saying that for you, and it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah. Market's still going I know. crazy high. Yeah.
0: I just think the it's only nice. way I can ruin a car properly is to turn it into a race car. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because nobody would let me run, drive a, a real put-together
1: classic car.
0: You know, people get mad at you for doing that. So.
1: The focus on preparing it for a wrap. I'm not gonna
0: like giving up on the paint on that. Wrap? Oh, a wrap
1: wrap. <laughs> a wrap wrap. It's lighter than paint. It's a little more easier for me to fix. I could uh, it's lighter could than paint wraps are
0: lighter than paint?
1: Oh yes, absolutely. Huh. And if you buy and do it yourself, it ends up being pretty reasonably priced. Paint yeah. materials now ask ask Ray. The paint materials are just crazy high. With base coat, clear coat, yeah. uh, sealers, clears, hardeners. Well, it's funny. Catalyst.
0: Mark Dana, who's uh, who's got a really cool little arrowed uh, Miata down in South Florida, he um he was so happy with his rap job. And I'd go up to it, it's like, wow, this is cool. And then I, the closer I got, I was like, oh, wait, this is all kinds of pieces put together. And what he did is he, he owns a, I guess he owns a rap shop or something, and all this scrap and stuff, he just saved it. And then use that to do the whole car with all these little cut off scraps. And, and you can see little triangles and squares just all over, but from far away, looks that. awesome.
1: <laughs> That's a way to do it. Yeah. It didn't cost them very much to do that. No,
0: no. Let the customers pay for it, you know? So, yeah. Well, Bernie, Hey, uh, it's been fun and uh, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, I hope some folks out there learned a few things and, and it's always great talking to you, because I, I really like talking about the old old days of racing. And we forgot to talk about the uh, the Turbo V6s.
1: <laughs> I wanted to
0: talk about those. But we might save that for when Brian gets back. We'll have you on again. So,
1: Yeah, sounds great, Bill, Thanks for having me on again. All right. Thank we'll you very you much.
0: Soon. And uh, let me get my script That's out awesome. here. I have a script I have to follow. I don't want to give away all the secrets. <laughs> let me see press blue button number two (laughs) that's going to do it for another episode of inside champ car brian will be back with us next week if you like what you just listened to please like and subscribe to the podcast and the youtube channel so you won't miss a future show or episode we have a new podcast every week i am bill strong you're listening to the racing wire podcast network and you're watching champ car live on youtube